Hey, what's going on? It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Drancer, finally an opportunity for you to have your voice heard on the airwaves today. It's been it's been for a little light on Drance. I live finally, on the, finally a chance for you to speak. I live in the radio. <laughs> yes, this you is, are this is the where airwaves personified today. <laughs> if you are looking for your fill of Thomas Drance, you have come to the right spot. <laughs> uh, which, as we know, all our listeners are doing. Um, it's uh, it's Canucks game day. We're live at Rogers Arena here. The Canucks play the Seattle Kraken. For the final time tonight, uh, the Kraken. This course, season, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, hey, listen, Drance. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what the future holds? Tomorrow is guaranteed to nobody. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, yes, for the final time this season, I, I expect it'll be on the schedule next year. Uh, this is. It was interesting, right? Because for a while there was the idea that like the Canucks have the Kraken's number. I don't know though. I mean, the Kraken are a lot better than the Canucks this season. Obviously, they are. Playoff bound in their second uh, NHL season. They had a big win against Arizona last night. I think this is going to be an interesting one with the Canucks officially mathematically eliminated. Seattle, not necessarily a ton to play for either. I'm not exactly sure what to expect out of these two teams tonight at Rogers Arena, Drancer. So it's an interesting one because really the Canucks have the Kraken's number is based off of how much the Kraken outplayed the Canucks repeatedly and then still find still found found ways to lose. to lose. But, like, we can't obscure the fact that the Canucks got outpla- have been outplayed by the Kraken and, like, constantly. You think about their uh, their franchise home opener. Everyone remembers the Connor Garland yep. game winner. But, like, the Canucks were woeful that evening. Um, that game right before Christmas where Elias Pettersson called game, that was I, – I still think that was one of the worst performances we've seen from a Canucks team this season – and maybe maybe in many years. They like, had a really rough one in Seattle early in the season. Oh, well. their first win. That was their first win of the year. I believe so, yeah. Uh, but but yeah. they got pretty roundly outplayed in that one, as, as, as I remember. Massively outshot, no yeah. question. So, you know, yes, the Canucks for a bit were winning some games they probably shouldn't have against the Kraken, but I wouldn't say that the I, – I actually think now that the Kraken have seemed to get over that mental block um, – Really, this is a team that the Canucks have struggled with, and that's not a huge surprise given the complexion of this Kraken team this season, right? This is a fast, efficient, counterattacking team with a ton of one-shot goal scorers. They move the puck really well, and, you know, defending the rush, that's been a struggle for this team, right? Uh, Goaltending has at times been a struggle for this team this season, and there might be, for a team with no, like, truly elite players right like no mcdavid quality yep. or close to um the kraken are a pretty tough matchup from a goalie's perspective of course colin delia will get the start today but there's a there's just so much shooting talent up and down this team's lineup with or without um burakovsky whose status i would not expect him to play tonight mm-hmm. but um you know I, I think it's a really tough assignment for delia and, and to be honest it's one of the reasons i'm glad they're giving it to him 
as opposed to running out Demko, who, for me, like, I don't think he's been at his best the past week, to be totally honest with you. And I sort of do wonder if the fatigue's been catching up to him a bit. Yeah, and it's, we'll hear from Rick Tocca later, but it does sound like we, we should expect to see Colin Delia a few more times, uh, or at least a couple more times after tonight, before the end of the season as well. Of course, only five more games for the Canucks tonight. Yeah, looking at the Kraken roster, I mean, we had this discussion about L.A. yesterday, and there just there is a little bit of similarity to me where there's just not a lot of weak spots on the roster, right? Like, even down on the fourth line, as you said, there's guys who are legit scary shooters, right, in the bottom six. There's, the defense is doesn't necessarily have that premier star player, although Vince Dunn is having a heck of a year, but it's pretty solid one through six. So it's an interesting matchup for a Canucks team that, as we know, we've talked about so much, struggles with the depth of their roster. Uh, so that's something to watch tonight. And, you know, what I'm really curious about, and this is not something that's going to be answered tonight, obviously, in this game, but as we start to look ahead to next season for the Canucks, beyond the final six games of this year and into what's going to unfold next year, right, we all know the playoffs are going to be a priority for this team, an expectation for this team. And as you look up and down the Pacific Division, right, the teams that they're going to be competing with next season for a playoff spot, you know, you try to find the teams that they're going to be able to catch, that they're going to be able to not just catch but jump over. And I know I was making the point the other day, like, listen, just get to 97, 98 points. The rest will take care of itself. And I do believe that. But you're all going to have to you are going to have to jump over someone in the Pacific Division to me, and I'm not saying it's a guarantee, far from it, we can have this discussion, but as you just look at the other teams in the division, the Kraken are the one that you could probably have the highest degree of confidence. The playoff team from the Pacific Division that you would circle and say, all right, I can see a world where we catch them. And that has, I think, less to do with like weaknesses on the Kraken part than it does with strengths of the other teams, right? Like Vegas, that's a really good team. They're cruising to over 100 points. Edmonton, we all know the score there. L.A., they're playing really, really well. They have uh, some young players that can take steps forward. If you're trying to catch somebody in the Pacific Division, almost by default, it's looking like it's got to be the Seattle Kraken in terms of playoff teams for next year. I mean, I would sort the Kraken with the Kings, to be totally honest with you. I need to see what the Kings do in net if Corpusalo's back. Um, you know, for the most part, I've been fading L.A. Mm-hmm. a fair bit this year. I just think that they – now. They completely contained the Kraken the other night, so take that with a grain of salt. But I, I do think the I do think the Kings' lack of offensive ingenuity materially hold materially could hold them back. I think it's held them back this year, to be totally honest with you, given how well they defend. Uh, so you know, for me anyway, I think the Kraken and the Kings belong in sort of the same weight class sorting hat here. With the Canucks, frankly, right? Like, the the Canucks are probably a little bit of a hopeful inclusion, but that should very much be the teams that, like, if you don't believe that Vancouver is at the level of those two teams, what are we even doing here? Well, I think you can make a case for L.A. being a tier above based on the way they're finishing I mean, you, this season. You know I agree with you, but I'm just saying, like, right. if you're not in that weight class, why are you even making win-now moves? If you don't think – if you don't think – if you – actually even have to hesitate in saying, yeah, that's who that's Vancouver's peer group, then this team's lost. But the problem with 
Seattle chasing Seattle. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they do, how they react to a first playoff appearance because the mo from ron francis has been a lot an awful lot of patience whether or not that continues they have some big decisions to make in the summer they got to give vince dunn a new deal but they also have like 20 million dollars in cap space going into next year right so if they want to hit the accelerator a little bit and not necessarily even be impatient but just look to bolster a team that's making uh, that's going to make its first playoff appearance this year. Like they have the means to go out and spend and add some pieces in a way that not a lot of other NHL teams are are going to be able to do. And we already saw them use their cap space in a different way this past summer, right? When they made the Oliver Bjorkstand deal from Columbus, they had the cap space. Not a lot of other teams did. They got a pretty decent player uh, for a pittance as a result. So that's the concern for me. It's not so much chasing down this version of the Kraken, right? Which, as you said, like true talent level, they're in the same weight class. That's uh, You could make the argue, argument the Canucks maybe have more true talent based on their high-end talent. But it's the idea that Seattle probably has a much easier path towards improving significantly next year if they're of the mind to kind of take that big step forward well, in the offseason. Not to mention that, you know, Matty Beneers and Shane Wright are a caliber of, you know, younger player, right? Now, now. Obviously, Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson are, like, fully developed NHL pros. Yeah. And they could still get better. But also, it's going to be really, really hard. You know, like, if the— It's, if, it's if, not a reasonable expectation to expect <laughs> those guys to get better. In a way, it is to expect Matty Beniers to get better. If, right? if, you're, if you're a top five NHL defenseman today— Yeah. —to get better— <laughs> It's really hard. That's a hard really ladder to difficult. climb. Yeah. If you're a top five NHL centerman today, but, you know, could Beneers go from being a top 50 NHL centerman to a top 30 next year? For sure. In fact, I'd expect it. So, you know, that's sort of where Seattle's upside becomes, uh, I think, scary. And here's the other one. Here's the other one for you. Seattle's done all of this with abysmal goaltending. Like, yeah. Like, really bad goaltending. If they're able to fix one position, they have a real shot, like a pretty clear path to getting into that Vegas-Edmonton weight class. What's Vancouver's path? Right? What's Vancouver's path? It's shedding like $20 million in salary and then nailing a bunch of defensemen evals. Like, it's, it's really going to be... It basically <laughs> no. I mean, this is the same thing we always talk about. So I don't want to. We're wanna, thirteen minutes in. I don't want to do too <laughs> much first, on it. The first heavy sigh of the show. Well, it's just like it's just like um, it's like in the airport, right? The the Canucks are gonna the Canucks are not going to be on the moving platform. You know, like the moving walkway. Whereas the Kings and the Kraken, teams that Vancouver should be peers with, have you know the ground moving with them, momentum. Uh, they're set up probabilistically to get better quickly, whereas the Canucks will be raging against the tide just to keep up. I mean, not impossible. They do have advantages, right? They have, like, lighter luggage. They have, like, nicer luggage. But it isn't, you know, they're not going to be benefiting from gravity here. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, we'll Again, we'll hear from Rick Tockett in the second segment of the show, but looking at the Canucks lineup, no lineup changes outside of the crease where Colin Delia is going to start, uh, but same lineup we saw against the LA Kings, so the top line of Pedersen with Kuzmenko and Joshua, uh, Miller, DiGiuseppe, and Besser on the second line, Niels Oman between Anthony Beauvillier and Connor Garland, Aiden McDonough with Sheldon Dries, and Jack Studnika, and then on the blue line, Hughes Burrows, Hirose Myers, Jack Rathbone, and Ethan 
bear. And is, it, is it very bad news for Vitaly Kratsov, by the way, that yes, Aiden McDonough has passed him in the lineup? It is very bad news, I would think. And, and I was kind of thinking of this, right, because we always hear, like, hey, the Canucks are playing for jobs. These guys are playing for jobs in the NHL, or these guys are playing for next season. But you look up and down the roster, it's kind of like, well, who is that really true for? That's still kind of trying to, like, win a job or, like, stay in the NHL or make a pitch for a bigger role next year. There's not actually that many players. Like, one of them would be Vitaly Kravtsov, but he's not in the lineup right <laughs> right now. And I think when you just look at it, the fact that both Aiden McDonough and Jack Studnika are playing ahead of him, you know, one, obviously, a, a guy who's just signed out of the NCAA, the other in Jack Studnika, a player who himself was having trouble getting in the lineup on a regular basis under Rick Tockett. Like, this should kind of be make or break time for Kravtsov going into this summer. Doesn't have a deal. This team, as we all know, has more wingers than they know what to do with. Like, you got to be making a really strong case right now that you're worth keeping around next year, and he's not even getting a chance to get on the ice to do it. Like, that should be very, very concerning, I think, for him. Yeah. Well, and, and Rick Tockett's commentary about the work he needs to put in this summer, right? I mean, um, it... He's put in – he's had similar commentary for Jack Stanika too, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is uh, clear. It's clear that Kratsov's first cup, cup of coffee with the Canucks this season has not endeared himself to their new bench boss. No, it has not. Uh, it has – we haven't necessarily seen uh, the upside of the potential on that buy low. And to be fair, they did buy very, very low on Vitaly Kratsov. But who are those guys – Sorry, are you saying you sometimes get what you pay for? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do. Hey. You take a swing, sometimes it works, sometimes it does not work out in the case uh, of Vitaly Kravtsov, at least so far. We'll see what the future holds it for him. But who are those guys in your view that are still kind of in that legit mode of like, hey, these these final six games actually mean something for me personally. I'm trying to leave a positive impression on the coach. I'm trying to make a claim for a bigger role next year. I'm trying to just show that I'm a regular NHL player at this point. I mean, the obvious ones to me are like, Hirose and McDonough, right? Just guys getting their feet wet in the NHL. not, But also guys with a relatively short runway because of their age. Every NHL opportunity is a big deal for them to show the coaching staff what they can do and how they can fit into it for next year, right? And I think with Hirose, just getting his second game made a positive impression. Like, that's a guy that has a chance here in the final handful of games to set himself up potentially to, uh, to have a, an opportunity at making the, the NHL team next season. Well, yeah, and you'd hope so, right? Based on their ages, um, you kind of like, and and let's let's just think about history here, right? Let's think about Chris Tanev. Let's think about Troy Stetcher, right? Troy Stetcher played what two AHL games before he was a regular in the Canucks mm-hmm. lineup. Granted, it was a very thin Canucks team. Uh, Chris Tanev spent one year in the American League, and by the playoffs, he was like clearly one of their six first choice guys, at least as the injuries piled up in the uh, conference final. Right, like he was playing Stanley Cup final games yes. in his first pro season. Right, like if you're going to hit, if Hiroshi is going to be a success story, making the team next year shouldn't be something that's seen as like unfair or pie in the sky. It's like y- you can play or you can't, mm-hmm. and at the age of 23, 24, that becomes very apparent very quickly. You don't have runway, so in in you know. I think McDonough and Hiroshi are sort of interesting names to bring up in the context in, in which you bring them up because 
you know, on the one hand, it's tempting to be like, well, yeah, but they're not, I'm sure, in the team's NHL plans for next season. But if they're ever going to be NHL players, they kind of better be. Well, and it, it's not as if there, there's a difference between like being in the NHL plans as in being penciled in for a roster spot. Of course, they're not going to be that, but they should absolutely be viewed as realistic options to play on the team, depending how they do in training camp, right? Like oh, they should, yeah. they can't be viewed as, oh no, no, there's no chance. Uh, these aren't twenty-year-old guys that are just like getting their first taste of uh, of a higher level of hockey, right? As you said, they're older, and if it's going to happen, it's got to happen pretty quickly. And you can look like. The positive examples you bring up are really relevant, but think of the other examples that we've seen come through here, right? Like you get signed as an NCAA free agent. It's a pretty quick window, when and, and we know whether it's going to work out or not. Like you go back through Mark Michaelis and Brogan Rafferty. If you don't make it quickly, it's probably not going to happen. And again, it's not that like Hirose is going to win a spot for next year based on what he does in the final six games, but I do think any little bit of evidence helps as uh, as the team is kind of planning and sorting out what it might have on hand in all of these players. Stadnika is another one who stands out for me because like he's a guy that this management group went out and acquired. They obviously saw something in him. I think it was a pretty reasonable trade at the time. And based on this management's track record of kind of hitting on some of these lower profile players, uh, they obviously saw something they liked in him, but it hasn't really worked out. And especially under Rick Tockett, Ice time has been really, really hard to find from yeah. Stadnika, and I wonder what the future holds for him. Now, the fact that he's getting in over Vitaly Kravtsov, that's a positive, but what kind of minutes are we going to see from Stadnika you know, now that the team is mathematically eliminated, and what can he do to kind of reset the narrative a little bit on uh, on his career with the Canucks? I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought Stadnika played some good hockey at times under Bruce Boudreau. It's really been since Tockett took over that his – stock has really diminished I think in terms of what he's provided to the Canucks he feels like in terms of the way that his game profiles and the sort of like relentless go to the net stuff that he had in his in like in Providence in Mm -hmm. his AHL days he feels like the sort of guy who should qualify under like the the wall guy rubric yeah well and the like hey guys who play with a lot of energy in our bottom six and create havoc and go to the net and get in on the four check like, I don't think there's any reason he can't be one of those players for this team sometimes though like it's just so tough to change a first impression you remember Rick Tockett's first game against the Chicago Blackhawks and they started Stadnika in the on middle the first line no, they started. Didn't they play him up all, all the way on the first line? Did they? I believe so. I, I thought it was. I could in the be middle. wrong about that. But he, well, he, we'll, he, we'll go. We'll go through Batch's uh, Twitter yes. timeline. And, and <laughs> yes. Either way, he he lost a job in a period. Yeah. In in Rick Tockett's first game, and sometimes it can be pretty hard. Like I don't know. Do you remember having that chat with your mom before going to like a new grade, like meeting a teacher for the first time? First impressions. Yeah, my mom yep. was always like, my mom was always like, if you make a good first impression in your first three weeks, you can cruise the rest of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Valuable life lessons. And honestly, it was great advice. Like what I what I what I always found in in high school and stuff was, uh, you know, if you never if you never missed an assignment in October, November, and December, then you got a lot of slack when you ended up. Missing assignments. Or, or just, like, being late on something. Like, ah, I'm late. And then you make up some dumb excuse and people agree with you. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, yeah, well, you were so reliable. I'm sure you're not lying to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, first impressions matter. And, and I think Stanika, you know, he uh, he slacked off in December and he's paying for it. Yeah. Not, 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 
he didn't actually slap. No, 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 no. I know what you Based mean. Based on my analogy, yeah, I yeah, want yeah, to just yeah. walk that back because yes, I would no. never accuse him of It was not NHL a work ethic thing from Studnika. It no. just was a results thing in the eyes of Rick Tockett. And Rick Tockett's coming in and immediately trying to find his guys, right? He found one in Phil DiGiuseppe. <laughs> Did he ever? It didn't happen to be Jack Studnika. <laughs> but I do think. I, I do wonder if Rick Tockett himself is kind of reevaluating some of those first impressions at this point as we see him talk about the lack of depth on the roster and trying to find guys that they can rely on. I wonder if there's almost like a, a chance to make a good second impression here uh, from Jack Sanika down the stretch as Tockett tries to find those guys. And then the other player that stands out, and he's gotten this audition a little bit for a little bit now as somebody who's trying to make a pitch, not for a job, he's going to have a job, but for a bigger role, is still Dakota Joshua up with Elias Patterson and Andre Kuzmenko. And I think I look at that experiment and that audition, and I like parts of it, but it's not as if Dakota Joshua has put a lock on that spot where you look at it and say, oh man, we have to keep him in that kind of role for next season. Like, he's shown moments, and I think it's a reasonable thing to keep trying, but he still has a chance to really make a statement and say, you know what, I'm somebody who can play in the top six here. And, and I think he still needs to make that kind of statement going into the summer. Yeah. He, I think I think Dakota Joshua has done a really nice job, though, cementing himself as a guy who will be looked at at training camp, um, you know, as, as, as having more upside than certainly anyone would have expected when he first signed, right? I, I do think he's already put himself in that position, but, you know, to continue to succeed there, to continue to make Rick Tockett look smart for predicting 20 goals uh, would certainly help his case. No question yeah. about that. Yeah, it's it's like right, right now it feels like something you can do at the end of a season where you're not going to make the playoffs, but he still needs to establish that it's something you can do at the beginning of the season where you're under a lot of pressure to make the playoffs, right? Mm. And he needs to establish that it's a reasonable option in that scenario as opposed to just at the end of a season where everyone knew what the score was going to be. 650, 650, you can get your thoughts in. Uh, who's Who are you watching for the final six games? Who's still playing for a job or a bigger opportunity for next season? Uh, we'll continue our game day coverage here. Canucks are playing the Kraken at Rogers Arena tonight. We will hear from head coach Rick Tockett in the next segment. Uh, plus, we will do 10 minutes of positivity coming up at 1245. So if you have any positive Canucks thoughts, hit us up. 650, 650. Again, it is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Hey, welcome back. Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here on a Canucks game day. They're hosting the Seattle Kraken at Rogers Arena. Uh, only a handful of home dates left for the Canucks this season. They got Chicago and then Calgary to wrap up this final homestand later in the week, but it is the Kraken tonight at 7 o'clock. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here, live from Rogers Arena and always live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. You can get your... Uh, 10 minutes of positivity submissions in. That's about 15 minutes away from coming up. So hit us up now, 650-650. But first, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett with his thoughts before his team hosts the Seattle Kraken. No, not really. I, I think, you know, obviously you're always watching to see certain guys if uh, 
effort level. Uh, it's more like guys in another lineup right now, um, injuries, trying to keep that together, um, but still keep the same message. You know, it's uh, you know you can't take a game off. I don't care if you're on the playoffs or not. It's just it's it's you know. I'll be quite frankly, it's, some guys can't afford to take games off. You know, this is evaluation time. So, if you're if you've packed in already, it's going to really affect your well, all of our opinions on on the guy. So that's why you're really looking at guys how they finish strong. Rock talked about the fact of how much it sucks missing the playoffs again. Those were his exact yeah. words. The guys need to feel that pain to, to, to feel the hunger. Uh, yeah, the, the suck and, uh, it's, it's awful, but what are you going to do about it? Like, you know, these are words, like, let's do something about it. So that's why we talk about, you know, what are you willing to do this summer, uh, as an individual to make sure that you're ready to go and then collectively as a group, um, that's really what it comes down to. How much are you leaning on your leadership group to make sure the wick is turned up here? A lot, you know, uh, a lot, uh, you know, those guys, have, I, I, I think they've done a really nice job the two months I've been here of, uh, turning some stuff around for helping me out. Uh, we've just scratched the surface, so we need, obviously, to continue that <coughs> through the summer. You had a long chat with JT out there. Was that just a mm. similar kind of thing? No, he just asked. He wants to play 60 minutes a game now. <laughs> no, uh, no, we were just talking about different things. Ethan Bear said the thing he admires the most about Quinn when he's been paired with him is that despite the A, he hasn't changed the kind of person he is. He doesn't have to necessarily come in. I'm wearing an A. i got to be loud. He lets his game do the talking and is very respectful of everybody in the room. How much do you think he's embraced? Yeah, I, I, I'm really impressed by him. It, it, I always talk to tell players, beat pressure with pressure. And when the pressure hits our team, if there's a guy, pucks dumped in, Quinn goes back, he wants to make that play. We need more guys like that instead of, I hope the puck doesn't come to me. We need more guys like Quinn. If you watch, he's usually the first tag to get the puck on a, on a breakout. Um, or, 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 you know, teams making, putting pressure on in the corners. Like, you know, obviously he's not going to kill guys, but he's very uh, smart at uh, coming up with those loose, loose pucks. So um, when I talk about meeting pressure with pressure, he meets pressure with pressure. That's what we need. And he's, he's acted that way. Guys use the word predictable a lot. They need to play more predictable hockey. Is that? I mean, they can play the game, but is that a mental challenge as much as anything? Yeah, it's mental. It's chemistry. It's also it's it's hard to play that way. Um, you know, to me, the Miller line's been successful. You know, uh, they were one of the, the last game. I think they were plus eight or plus ten in chances, and the rest of the guys were kind of even because they're connected and they're playing predictable. They know they know when. If Giuseppe goes first guy, he knows he's going to eliminate the guy. The second guy's going to be in there. Uh, we're a little disconnected right now. We're, the other line's not sure. Is, is the first guy going to take the guy, or is he going to guess where the puck's going, and then you're not connected? So when you talk about predictable, that's why that line's successful right now is because they're predictable. They know where they're going. Do you, do you come away from a game you know, with a list of things you're looking to see or not seeing in terms of your assessment as we go through the end of the last few games here? Is that something you're looking to see? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, you know, the last couple of games we've talked about certain things we'd like to see from certain guys or lines. So tonight's a, is a good evaluator. You know, can you take that information and apply it uh, and have that work ethic? Because it, it does go a long way for evaluating. You know, this summer, you know, we're all going to get together, coaches, management, and, hey, what about this player, you know, this player? And, you know, you're going to have these impressions of guys for the last month. Over the last couple of weeks, ice has to be earned, and you said earlier, Rick, that Krausoff's at a place where he's not 
ready to play? I mean, these last five or six games, is he a practice guy, maybe take game day skates? Is he that well, far removed from where he, where he needs to be? Or? Yeah, well, I, I think i get him in the lineup, but I think he just has to understand it. I, you know, we got to – he's got to show us that he wants to play hockey. Like, I, I, he's a good kid, but I'm not sure he knows the work level yet. And I think that's why it's important that he gets some good skates out there knowing what it takes. Um, and, um, you know, we don't have a lot of bodies around. So he'll definitely get in the lineup. How do you monitor a guy in offseason? You talk so much about the offseason, yeah. how big it is for so many players, Rick. How do you monitor a guy who probably will go back to Russia? Yeah, I, I think and... you, you monitor him every, you know, you, you stay in touch every week, every yeah. couple of weeks. I, I don't think you can go very long without yeah. seeing these guys. And I know we're going to have some of our staff go visit some guys. That's going to help this year, too. Um, you know, four months is a long time. So you got to make sure that uh, you're in, you have enough contact with those guys that they're doing the right things. Rick, how difficult is it to get a true assessment of your hockey type the team when you call guys from the minors who you know are going to play hard for you every night because yeah. they want to prove that they can play? You bring in college kids, it's the exact same story with them. Is it difficult to see what you really have when you're factoring in that as well? Yeah, the, the college guys, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to, like, be fair on those guys. You know, you don't want to throw them into. And I thought Cato did a great – I thought he was pretty good. I watched the video. He looked smart. guy. There's something there, you know, uh, you know with – Aid the same thing, you know. Uh, it's hard to just throw guys in and say, okay, you know, can they play or not? It's it's not as simple as that. What I look for is their stuff there and uh, their attitude and stuff. And to me, the the attitudes there and the energy level that's what I look for. And then the other stuff will come. Um, but yeah, the, the, the well, there's some guys here I didn't know about that have impressed me, and there's some guys here that. You know, to be honest, I'm not sure yet. You know, but uh, there, there's been some good. It's not all. You know, it's been there's some good, good positive stuff that's happened for sure. Had, looked like Akito was getting a time on power play unit today, the second power play unit. Is that a spot where we'll see him tonight? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we needed to, on the second unit. It's probably a two, two defense unit. Um, and he's his skill level and his uh, hockey IQ. So why not throw him in there, evaluate him? You know, we're playing a, a, a good game, a good team like Seattle going to the playoffs. You know, it's good to throw a guy in there and see what he can do on, in, in those pressure situations. With, and then he'll have a good taste this summer. Right. With lots of talk of the evaluation, you've had a couple games now, Jack Rathbone. Um, he's had an up-and-down season, injuries yeah. again. What are your early impressions of him so far as an NHL? I, I think um, these last couple of games he's played, he's, he's um, come a long way. I think, you know, I think he's had just an okay year in the minors. From what I've, I've watched him a little bit, but um, I think there's, like, once again, there's something there. Can he take these whatever games he's going to play left? You know, five, six games this year. I think he's played. Uh, um, can he take that into the next level? Um, uh, that's really what it comes down to. And then, it, let's face it, in training camp. You know, he's got to shine. Like he's got to be in one of the best shaped guys, and he's got to be like from the day one. You know, you want to impress the coaching staff. So that's he's got to gear himself up for that. How does, uh, sorry, how does a, a player? exceed your expectations for like an offseason and the work how, how would they do that in the summer um well obviously from what you from last year whatever the impression is last year i don't know their test of scores from last year that that will help um knowing the guy put his work in and then from day one uh knowing the system um being um you know when when practice hits being dialed in right away uh focused right away and impressing the staff like you gotta do something like there's, you know, camp's not that long, so you have to do something in these exhibition games or in practice to impress the players, the the coaches, and management. 
every coach likes big mobile defensemen. I know you love yeah. what they have in Vegas. There also seems to be an argument in the league that you can have one smaller defenseman, but it's hard to have two in your lineup. Is that up to the player to, to maybe change that thinking? A kid like Rathbone, I mean, you already have Quinn, obviously. Yeah. But can you have two undersized defensemen? Yeah, it's right. The, the player can change that narrative. Okay. The way he boxes out, the way he, the quickness, how back, uh, how fast he gets the breakouts. I mean, if you're a small guy, if you're a fast guy, you can get back there and get the puck up to the forwards. To me, that's as good as a big defenseman. But if you're getting hemmed in all the time and you can't squash cycles, that's really what it comes down to. When you can't squash a cycle or, or pin a guy, then the other team gets all that possession time. It looks like Delia tonight. Still gonna yeah, Delia, yeah. Still alternate, basically. Yeah, the Delia probably get uh, you know, at least another two or three, yeah. For sure, but I know I know Demmer wants to. You know he likes to play too, but it's a long summer, so he wants to. He wants his time. He'll get his time, but I want to make sure Delia gets his time too. Delia's going to want the Hawks again. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he probably won't get him this time. <laughs> that is Rick talking, <laughs> wrapping up his uh, his media availability before the Canucks play the Seattle Kraken, talking about Colin Delia. Like, yeah, probably not playing against the Blackhawks in the next game. I think we'll go back to Demko for that one. But it will be Colin Delia tonight. And you heard, you heard talk it talk about uh, some of his plans in the crease for the remainder of you, the season. You, so Demko going Thursday. Yes. He's got to go Saturday. That's the one game. What? Yeah. You gotta, Why? You got to – you got to – Make the Flames earn it. No, you don't. Yeah. You, you absolutely do not. Under no circumstances do you have to make the Flames absolutely. earn it. Absolutely. If you have a chance, if you have a chance to kill another team's playoff yeah. chances, you got to do it. I think you just got to take care of your own business. I'm Mr. Tank guy. You got to take I'm, care of your I'm own business. I'm a firm believer that if you have a chance to play spoiler, you got to take Who it. Who cares? Who cares? Take care of your own business first. Worry about that stuff after. I mean, that might be how it works out. That's well, that then you're only getting... I mean, I guess then you can start Delia twice in the in the final three games, but... Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Fine. Whatever. We'll see. Uh, lots to get into uh, <laughs> from... Uh, just all of a sudden, you're like, well, you gotta you got to really win that game. I was like, no, you don't. You got to. You, gotta, <laughs> you don't yeah. have to. No, sometimes you got to play, like, um, sometimes you got to play for history and stuff. Like, sometimes you got to play history. to just have an impact. <laughs> the historic importance of knocking... <laughs> A deeply mediocre Calgary Flames team out of the playoffs uh, in April of 2023. Like, I get it. I get it. They're your rival, all that. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, don't you, don't no. make your decisions based on that. You got to do it. You got to do it. It's like, um, it's like um, t- Tom Coughlin playing his starters uh, against the New, uh, New England Patriots in the last game of that regular season. It is nothing like that. Yeah, it's very it much is like absolutely that. nothing like that. Very but much anyways, like that. It's more, <laughs> yeah, play for history. It's more like... Uh, <laughs> Who is, the, who is the Texans coach? This oh, Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith. Yeah, I yeah, love we that. Like, We're going for the win right now. I loved that. Which, to be fair, was pretty cool. Loved so. that because I had the Bears to have the worst record, plus 5,000. Congratulations. <laughs> my level of excitement. Oh, my gosh. I can only imagine. was incredible that Sunday afternoon. Uh, congratulations to you on that one. Uh, there's a lot to uh, get into from Rick Talkett, but before we do, maybe we'll have a chance to talk a le- uh, about it a little bit later in the show. Uh, Rick Dollywall, Drancer, reporting that the Canucks are in on another NCAA free agent. We thought they might be done. Cole McWard, uh, right shot defenseman, 21 Ohio years State old. Buckeyes. Ohio State Buckeyes. Sounds and- like he could be in the plans for the well, Vancouver so, Canucks. And Dolly Wall has followed up on the original report calling Vancouver the front runner to land McWard with a, an additional believed decision coming soon, Canucks front runners. When Rick starts like panic updating his own just reporting, rapid updates, you know it you know it's done. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, it's going to happen. Okay, so McCord, Cole McCord. Is a younger player. Yes. 21. Will turn 22 this summer, but on the scale of NCAA free agents, that's very much on the younger side. Assuming this gets done, excuse me, assuming this gets done, the Canucks will be pulling him out of college following his sophomore, sophomore season. season. So this is not a Hiroshi-type uh, UFA, NCAA UFA. This is, uh, frankly, not even a McDonough-type signing. This is a guy who, you know, pr- probably does have a little bit of development time remaining. You know, they, he, it's not like he needs to make an impact year one. He's got a couple of years here before you're like, okay, well, what is he? Scoring-wise for a 21-year-old uh, in terms of his offensive production at his height, not a, not, not not much that's remarkable about his profile. He's He's a big-bodied kid. Mobile has performed pretty well in some of their latest tournaments, and he and he adds another Buckeyes uh, alumnus to the to the mix for the Canucks, who also have Dakota Joshua uh, from Ohio State. Realistically, this type of player, if they hit, you're looking at like a Jordan Osterley type, like a Matt Benning, right? Like that's sort of the the mold um, based on based on pedestrian counting stats to this point in his NCAA career. But given this t- team's need needs significant needs on the right side uh worthwhile like a worthwhile bet even if it's a a low probability that you get more than an organizational depth guy here yeah and again it's just kind of a little bonus we thought they were done right that that uh long desired right shot defenseman from the ncaa free agent class materializes as you said a little bit younger so there's not as much pressure to come in and make an impact right away and just another another guy in the pipeline which is what they need and really not an elite ncaa player on the scale of a hiroshi or a maxis right like more of a project but also different because he's just finishing his sophomore season you know what i mean so it's a little so he's not necessarily going to be expected to play that role in college which makes it it's just in- interesting uh, the differences between them. That's what I'm saying, though. More of a project, yeah. right? Like this is this is a more classic prospect as opposed to a relatively finished product out of the NCAA. Uh, by the way, Dan and Fortunate John Texan isn't letting the Flames make the playoffs, so they bring Sutter back. The best outcome for the Canucks. He might be back either way, given the uncertainty uh, elsewhere in that organization. Uh, but you can get your text in as well. Six fifty, six fifty. It is time. For 10 minutes of positivity oh, here on Canucks Talk. Sorry, Tanbeer, who I don't like to read his texts, so I'm going to regret this, but the Detroit Lions eliminating Rodgers. That's a good one. Good take. Right, but like the NFL and the NHL are different. Play the NFL, it. you're you're always on the verge of making the playoffs next season. The Play NFL. for history. Play for history. Oh, my gosh. Grandiose description of a meaningless Canucks home game against the Flames in a long time that I've heard. It's meaningless from their perspective. Maybe not from the Flames' It's positivity time, Jamie. Okay, Lower your tone. Sorry. Relax. Just throwing in the historical comps there. Do as the Detroit Lions do. <laughs> uh, play for history. Play for history. I will start, and this is uh, something that Rick Tockett was sounding pretty positive about when we just heard his media availability, availability there. Tockett liking what he's seeing. For Makito Hirose, talked about, hey, I got went back, watched the tape. There was a lot to like there. He was making some smart plays, hockey IQ, all of that. And it was it is funny because when when Tockett was first asked about Hirose when they signed him, and look, obviously, Tockett's busy coaching the Canucks. He's not scouting 
college free agents, so he's not going to have a lot of information about the player. And he said as much, and he said kind of, I've heard supposedly he's got high hockey IQ, right? That was being reported to Talkit. Obviously, he didn't have firsthand knowledge. And now we're hearing Talkit say, oh, yeah, this guy has high hockey, high hockey IQ. There's something there. We're seeing it. So that should like that's a really positive sign because there's always a way to kind of soften your criticism of an NCAA free agent at this stage, right? Where you're saying like, Oh, you know, like they're just getting adjusted. They're, there's some tools there, but they've, they've got a lot to learn as well. And you're not slamming the player, but you're also not raving and not that talk. is raving there, but if you read between the lines a little bit, it's obvious that he's seen something right away. And I think that's positive one, because Hey, that the Canucks need blue liners. They need guys who can move the puck. They need guys with high hockey IQ on the back end going into next season. And I also just like that, okay, Hirose, not a typical NFL or NFL, NHL, definitely not a typical NFL profile, but not a typical NHL, like, physical profile for a defenseman. Uh, I like to see Tockett keeping an open mind that I'm not going to write this player off just based on the fact that he's a little undersized. I'm going to see what he can do, and, hey, I like it. I'm going to be excited about it, and potentially it figures into more opportunities for Hirose down the road. So, hey, it's only one game. He'll get another chance tonight. But I like what I'm seeing, and I'm like what I'm hearing from Tockett on uh, Akito Hirose so far. He sounded genuinely excited, I thought, in that audio that we listened to. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell with Tockett, right? And I mean, it's positivity, so we won't get into some of the players he was less than positive about in that availability. Why not? Like, <laughs> well, maybe later. Because uh, I was show. thinking, actually, that my moment of positivity was going to be at least the Canucks didn't pay much for Vitaly Kratsov. Yep. At least they managed their price. Well, and, like, to be fair, the analysis of the trade when it was made was pretty bang on. It's like, okay, there's maybe not a huge They're They're uh, paying likelihood. a couple uh, pennies to yeah. skip the the waiver priority order. Yep. That, that was what they did, and that was worth a shot. Here, Here's my positivity, truly, about Kratsov. First of all, who cares? Like, really, who cares that he can't get in the lineup right now? You give him a summer, you sign him to a one-year deal, you, you can take you can take another look at training camp next year. Secondly, who cares in terms of whether it works out or not, it was a worthwhile roll of the dice, right? For, for a seventh and a guy you had no intention of signing who's a UFA in, in Will Lockwood. A seventh four years from now. <laughs> yeah. There was, there's, there's no harm done taking a look at this player. The Canucks were, like... It doesn't need to work out for it to have been a worthwhile move for the Canucks to make, whether whether it works or not. So uh, I think that's worth pointing out. Good process there, nonetheless. Yeah, you and got, they manage their price, so I'm positive about that. you got to evaluate the process, because ultimately, if this is the last we see of Vitaly Krasov, if he doesn't even come back at training camp next year, it really is no harm, no foul. It is, that, that's what it comes down to, ultimately. You took a chance, it didn't work out, okay, oh, you, you move got on. It, you, give him, you give him a training camp. They probably will, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, even in the scenario where that doesn't happen, it's it doesn't hurt you in the long term. The opportunity cost was very, very low. As you said, you evaluate it based on the process, and the process was smart, and that goes for all these college guys they're signing as well, right? Totally. Like, there's a chance. I mean, I'm just talking about Hirose, but there's a chance that that talk and availability is, like, the his peak of relevancy. You never know, right? But oh, yeah. You're, well, just like, do you remember the excitement around Kratzoff when it got done? My yeah. goodness. The Canucks Twitter account was, like, 
Uh, he had an assist against the Minnesota Wild in that one game. There was oh, like the a, the Besser assist, highlight nice. highlight of his his play in that game, and it, it looked for a second really positive there. Didn't turn out way, that way, but that's fine. Well, got to take anyway. You got to take the rolls of the dice and eventually uh, hope that the numbers come up in uh, in your favor. And again, like Cole McWard, that's another one where you get him in the system, uh, you evaluate it based on uh, on the process, not necessarily what ends up happening. Although, again, I, I really do think, and, you know, I know the you brought up the age thing, but I do think it's worth noting here, right? Like, to me, the McWard signing, and, and Scott Young, by the way, is in town, so not a huge shock that they're doing a little bit more business with Scott Young in town, but there is a material difference in contributions at the NCAA level in terms of, like, the, the quality of player that Sasan... Hiroshi mm. and and McWard represent like McWard, you know, pretty low assist rate, low competition, um, you know, far lesser impact on his teams, even strength goal generation, like across the board, McWard is uh, m more of a project, more of just a guy, like closer to just a guy. And I think there is something meaningful that we can extrapolate from them rolling the dice because this is more of a dice roll than a Hiroshi or a, or a Sasan is. Well, and I, think, and I don't know what the market for McWard was, but it's also not a situation where it's like, oh, you have to make a decision right now. You know what I mean? No, like no, he, no. He's finished a sophomore year. Well, just like come back to Ohio State, play a bigger role is very much an option for him. Right? I, well, I think, but I think what this really tells you, bright shining lights on the marquee, the Canucks are beginning to, it's really beginning to sink in just how difficult it's going to be to build up the right side of their defense. And I think that's what this deal more than anything reflects. I mean, how long have we been talking about it in this market? A long, oh, long since time. 2019, 18. Like, yeah. it's been a long time. Yeah, and it, it, it's there's for, no for a reason. There's there's realistically there's no way to shortcut the process. Like, you just have to. It's a numbers game. It's a quantity thing. You have to have a certain number of chances. A certain number of Again, dice rolls on these guys for it to work out. And there's no there's no way to do it other than start the process now, which is what they're doing, right? Well, like all you can do is affect all you can do is change it from this moment forward and use all of the tools at your disposal to bring in guys like this. Given how overdrafted though right handed defensemen are, man, this is where not having a second round pick the next two years is gonna make that process that much more difficult. They're really gonna be running uphill. And really, you're going to need to draft a few even this year. You're going to need to do some of the overdrafting on, on some right-handed defensemen because this team just needs so much help there. And you, you really don't want to be in a spot where you're gambling on McWard types and and also overpaying for Heronic types. Like, that's really – it's probably necessary, so I'm not going to criticize the organization for it, but it, it really does put you behind the eight ball. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. The Canucks host the Kraken tonight. Uh, and as we typically do when the Kraken are playing against the Canucks, we will chat with our pal Allison Lucan, who covers the Seattle Kraken for Root Sports Northwest. She joins the show next. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, live from Rogers Arena and live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game, now found together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. Now joining us on the phone line, always excited to talk to her uh, whenever the Canucks and the Kraken Lockhorn. She covers the Kraken for Root Sports. You also hear her on the Too Many Men podcast. She is Allison Lucan. Allison, thank you as always for making time for us. How are you? Well, I'm great. It's always a treat to talk to you guys. Well, we appreciate that. We always look forward to it, of course. And, you know, the Kraken, uh, game tonight against the Canucks, but the, the Kraken are heading for the playoffs for the first time in their history. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of excitement around the team, from the fan base, from purely a, a hockey on the ice point of view. How are the Kraken kind of rounding into the into form as we near the uh, the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs? Yeah, that's a great question because I'm a big believer in how you finish the season, regardless of your standing, is, is a really good sign in terms of how you're going to take on the postseason. And I think last night uh, versus Arizona was a really strong sign. They get a huge win, um, largest margin of victory in franchise history, albeit a young one still. <laughs> um, but the, the, the bigger indicators to me, what I like, we know how important special teams can be in the postseason and the power play has started to click as of late. Uh, the goaltenders have started to click a little bit more as of late with three quality starts in their last four games. So the places where value really can be maximized are starting to really step up to the plate. Allison, should Vince Dunn be getting any Norris consideration in your mind? <laughs> well, I say yes. Um, owning my bias, um, but you know, Shana Goldman at The Athletic, all of us, we've talked about this for years. We don't have a really strong understanding of what defense really is anymore in, in the NHL or in hockey because we don't have a way to measure the absence of something, creating the absence of something, preventing something. Um, but I do think that Vince Dunn has shown to be more complete of a player than just a stat line with goals and assists. And I think that he definitely deserves recognition for what he's doing in all three zones and also in all aspects of special teams teams and even strength play. Whether you credit him or Adam Larson, how much has a bona fide top of the lineup pair performing in this manner meant to the crack in this season? Oh, absolutely. You know, the defense was supposed to be the calling card of this organization from the start. I think they were sound last year, but I think you're seeing players more comfortable in roles. And I think that a big part of that is Adam Larson, and we've talked about this on your show before, too, that Adam Larson sets the tone in that room, particularly for the blue line, and Vince Dunn wanted to play with Adam Larson. And Adam Larson, uh, we have a, a great segment of our Uncharted feature coming out soon with Adam Larson, and he talks in there about how he and Vince Dunn can challenge each other and say, be better, and no one takes it personally. And I think that because they are pushing each other and because they like each other so much and their skill sets complement each other so beautifully, it makes them a go-to pair in all situations. I don't want to start looking too much ahead to the summer, Allison, because, of course, the Kraken still have the playoffs coming up. But Vince Dunn, breakout season this year, he's an RFA this summer. Is that priority number one for Ron Francis and the management team there to get a long-term deal done with Vince Dunn? 
if it's not number one, you have to think that it's one of the top ones, right? I mean, obviously, this is a player still under franchise control as an RFA, but the Kraken have been doing really tidy work keeping all of their contracts right in and around the 5 to $6 million range. And Vince Dunn is, is rightly due a raise. Um, we all know the constraints of the cap situation across the league, but I think this is a player that they want to build around for the foreseeable future. He's young enough to be part of the core as the window truly opens. And Ron Francis needs to see what he has left in terms of funds to continue to build out this roster. So it has to be one of the top priorities for sure. That's a really good point about the salary structure too. Cause if you go to Seattle's cap friendly page, right? It is a lot of guys that start with a five, you know, a, a lot of guys that start with a four. I don't think there's anyone making uh, more than $6 million uh, for the Seattle Kraken, which is really impressive uh, given where salaries have gone around the NHL. Is there like, is there a risk of kind of blowing up that salary cap structure? I mean, we know what defensemen like Vince Dunn, who with the production like Vince Dunn, tend to get paid. Is that a concern that you're going to kind of lose some of that internal structure uh, if you do a big new Vince Dunn deal? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and and I don't wonder if we might see some creativity in the contract structure. This is just my opinion. I'm certainly not sitting in the front office walls anytime soon, but. You know, maybe this is something that changes structure year over year to anticipate changes in the cap or to allow for the storyline that comes back to the other players in the room, you know, a nice transition and a story of where this organization is going. It's going to come down to also, you know, I have to believe that Vince Dunn is happy in Seattle. He wants to be part of this, too. And when you have a player who's happy with an organization, that can help conversations proceed as well. Allison, I know the goaltending's been better of late, but how big <laughs> <The> a <sigh. laughs> how big a priority is that going to be this off season for the Kraken? And and this is one that looms large, I think, for Canucks fans who, looking at the Pacific, right? I think there's a sense that yeah, maybe you're not catching McDavid, maybe you're not catching Vegas, but can you catch Seattle, right? From, from a Vancouver fan's perspective, I think that's going to be a big talking point, something that uh, occupies a fair bit of mental space and discussion in this market this summer. So I got to ask you, is that is that something that you expect the team will, will have to work on this summer? Or do you think the goaltenders can, over the course of the balance and, and into the playoffs, sort of make a case that, that what they've got now is part of the answer? Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting part of the roster to watch develop. You know, obviously, Martin Jones was a short-term solution because Chris Drieger goes down with injury. And just from a, from a roster management perspective, you know, Martin Jones is probably going to move on somewhere else next because of the pipeline of current talent and future talent that the Kraken are building. You know, the story underneath Philip Grubauer is an interesting one. If you look at the underlying numbers, he's actually – performed better in terms of the two goaltenders who've taken on the primary workload. He just hasn't always gotten the run support. He's the goaltender that they've put out against the tougher competition, whereas Martin Jones was facing relatively weaker competition and getting the run support. So Philip Grubauer, after the injury that he sustained early in the season, has really for the most part been quite strong. And then you have to look at what Chris Drieger is going to be as he comes back from that knee injury. So I have not had the opportunity to watch him with my own two eyes, but they're obviously going to look to see where his game is at. That was someone that they wanted to be part of the solution long-term. I'm sure he'll get a look 
And Joey Decord has come up and been really, really strong in a couple of appearances. This is a player always viewed to be part of the picture, and I think he's one of the more active goaltenders. He's got a really strong ability to puck handle. He likes it. He's proud of it. And so if he is ready to make the jump, and maybe Chris Drieger is going somewhere else, I don't know, but if Decord is the person who's getting the look, now you've got a really dynamic piece to your back end that can make the Kraken even more challenging in a way they haven't been yet in their young tenure. In conversation with Allison Lucan, she covers the Seattle Kraken for Root Sports. You also hear on the Too Many Men podcast here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, Matty Beniers has been uh, such a big piece for the Kraken here in his rookie year. It, you know, we'll see what happens with the Calder Trophy voting ultimately, but what has allowed Beniers at such a young age to come in and hold down the type of role and the type of responsibility he has for a playoff team in the Kraken? I think he's literally a unicorn <laughs> in that, you know, I think, I think first and foremost, he's got a very unassuming sense about him. And when the Kraken had their dad's trip, it was very interesting to hear from Maddie's dad. This was a family where they were obviously in support of their, all of their children's passion, but a pro hockey career wasn't really even something they thought would ever be on the horizon for Maddie. And so he turned out to be really good at this. He loves it. And I think that, that his whole pursuit being rooted in his passion is driving his ability to learn and hone his craft. This is one of the skaters who's always last off the ice. This is one of the skaters who's always, you know, if a player brings their kids onto the ice, Maddie's out there playing with them. He's talking to other players. He's talking to the veterans. He's soaking everything up. So I think he's, he's got that unassuming nature where he's not putting pressure on himself and he's been put in a position to succeed. And then he's got that skill. And the most underrated part for me is the defensive side of the game. The the player has one penalty the entire season thus far, which is insane when you think about a rookie year and particularly down the middle of the ice, how a player like that's probably going to get tested by veterans and, and giving him his welcome to the NHL moments. And he just keeps bouncing back. And if you look at the caliber of player he's with in defensive metrics right now as well, that bodes really, really well for the Kraken organization. What are the next steps for Matty Beniers? Like, not to take anything away from what he's done this season. He's already been a very, very good player. But what's kind of a reasonable expectation for him in the immediate future for uh, for the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously this is a first full 82-game season for him. And there have been some lulls on the score sheet. And I think you might want to see one of your top two, if not your top line center, ultimately being a little bit more consistent in their scoring, but I believe that that will come. I think they'd like to see him find a little more consistency and success on the dot, but we know, you know, when you're going against the top line centers in this league, there's a lot of tricks and techniques that you have to learn, and he's honing that as well. And then I think it's just continuing to build up his sustainability of his game. I haven't seen many lulls, but I think he can find consistency and then start to take things to the next level. Shana, Allison. Oh my goodness. Allison. It's okay. Wow. Well, I'll take that I'm as sorry. a compliment. It's a compliment. You should. You should. We have Shane on so often. I'm sorry. I, truly, I'm embarrassed. Um, All good. <laughs> with, um, with Seattle's overall transition game, right, we've seen the Canucks struggle against it. They haven't always won the Kraken, I mean, in their games against the Canucks, but they've pretty consistently carried play. Um, is this team still moving just as quickly today as they were earlier on in this season? Are they moving faster? They, 
Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and and they I think they're sustaining their level of speed, and I think what's been really fun is that you're seeing the coaches and the players talking about it a lot more openly after a formative year when it was all about the forecheck and playing below the dots and, and things like that. Um, this is a group Vince Dunn currently ranks it in the top two in the league in terms of not just attempting stretch passes, but completing them. And we all know a pass moves faster than a skater. So that's part of it. And then this is a team that is also in the top three and three or four in the league in terms of creating goals off of turnovers. So it's that tenacity, maybe not being as low in the zone anymore in terms of a traditional forecheck, but now almost activating in the neutral zone specifically to challenge possession, get the puck on their sticks, and then get it moving the opposite way so quickly with a counter that the opponent can't respond. Allison, are people in Seattle beginning to scoreboard watch and and pick which opponents (laughs) they most want to see in the first round? I, I think I think some are. I think the biggest priority here for sure is looking at when will they clinch, how will they clinch, and you know we all know how crazy and permutated those situations could be. If this happens on a Tuesday and the sun is in retrograde, and you know all the scenarios, <laughs> so it's you know explaining magic numbers and things like that to some of our newer fans can can be a bit of a journey. But um, they're definitely excited. They're definitely watching for the clinch first. I think the narrative is more subjective right now. Who do you want to face? Um, but after they hopefully are able to lock down that postseason spot, it's definitely going to become about, and who will they play? Do you, do you see a potential matchup that sets up uh, particularly favorably for the Kraken? Well, it's interesting to me. I have a couple, I'm of a couple of minds on this. Um, one is I'd be intrigued by a matchup against the Wild, mainly because While the travel isn't ideal, I love getting some more exposure to Eastern-based fans and Eastern-based press to what the Kraken are all about. We know that there is an East Coast bias, and so if you're playing in an earlier time zone a little bit more, more eyes might start to understand what you're all about more than just looking at final scores. But, But I honestly kind of get intrigued about a matchup against the Avalanche. I know that's crazy, but I think that that might be a team that the Kraken can match up well against there isn't necessarily a narrative of the two expansion teams most recently. If you look at a Vegas, I think the Kings are, are just a crazy defensive machine right now. So those are two teams that I'm looking at just for fun and, and just for what I think the storylines could be coming out of it. I'm curious, Allison, you know, the way one of the ways the Kraken have had success this year, and we were talking about it, I think we've talked about it with you on, on previous appearances as well, is just the incredible amount of really good shooters they have on the team up and down the lineup they have so many guys that can beat the goalie at a high uh, conversion rate and that's not always necessarily what we think of as a kind of classic playoff team you know we tend to think of teams that are all over the puck that play that heavy puck possession game how do you see the kind of Kraken identity faring in the playoffs this year Yeah, and I think that's part of why, for me, seeing the power play start to come alive is such an important piece of their postseason, right? Because that's where you're going to see shooters like Daniel Sprong and Ellie Tolvanen and, of course, Jared McCann just be able to set up in their office and just fire pucks at insane rates. And that's what they're doing right now. And it's interesting to see it. It's crazy that teams still haven't truly seemed to catch on to all that Ellie Tolvanen can do. But, you know, we go back to that idea of that speed and that quick strike offense. And this is part of why the Kings would be, I think, a formidable opponent because of the 1-3-1 that they play. It's harder to get through. And I think the speed with which the Kraken play makes their ability to slash and gash a little bit more effective. 
And therefore, then if you can get it to one of your finishers, then you're you're hopefully good to go. Allison, really appreciate the time and the insight. As always, enjoy the game tonight, and uh, I'm sure we'll try to get some of your time uh, when the when the Kraken are in the playoffs for real a couple weeks down the road. Appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure, and maybe Shana can join us at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> I was going to apologize one last time before he left us, Allison. I'm so sorry. Thank no, you, it's Allison. It's an honor. It really is. Thank you, guys. <laughs> that is Allison Lucan, not Shana Gold. No, I her, so, her podcast co-host. I so richly deserve that. Uh, well, and I will say, as uh, you know, I don't think Allison was uh, just trying to do you a favor by saying she takes it as a compliment. No, so I, I think I, if you were going to screw up names, that was probably the the, the ideal best way to do, to do yeah. it. But there you go. I agree with you. Handled graciously. Much better it. much better than someone calling me Dan Riccio. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we're going to mix things up a little bit in the next segment. Talk quickly to uh, Ron Toygo, owner of the Vancouver Giants, as they're getting set to host a couple of playoff games against the Kamloops Blazers. But before we get to that, I, I did just want to take a second – you and Harmon Dial published your rankings of the Canucks' top prospects this week at The Athletic, and today it was uh, numbers five through one, so counting down the top five prospects in the Canucks system. And obviously, look, when we talk about the prospect pool, we all know what the story is, right, and where it ranks relative to the rest of the NHL. It's more like a pond. The dearth, the dearth of... It's a prospect hot tub more yes, than a pool. sure. Uh, although some people would prefer a hot tub, but in terms in terms of quantity, yes, you're correct. Uh, and depth, I guess. The, I did think it was interesting, though, that I think a lot of people probably would have assumed Jonathan Karamaki would come in at number one, having been just you know a 15th overall pick very, very recently. Yes, we know he's had a hard season, but that's still uh, a pretty big advantage when you're ranking prospects. And instead, uh, you guys had it Karamaki number two, Atu Ratu, coming in at number one, which I thought was very interesting. Obviously, Ratu is not old for a prospect. He was only drafted a year earlier uh, than LeCaramacchi, but uh, that was probably the biggest surprise for me and the biggest takeaway for me was seeing Atu Ratu hold down that top spot in the rankings. Yeah, and so if you go to the piece which is up at The Athletic right now, in the LeCaramacchi write-up, I, I mean, I do a lot of work in terms of quantifiably – measuring what what a player's produced at their height in their league at their age and comparing it to other NHL players and tomorrow at the athletic I'm going to run my player comps and you know how I do player comps they're data driven I do a high end and a low end comp the idea is to sort of give people a sense of the range of possibilities and originally when we started this exercise LeCaramacchi was our top prospect but once I did the the once I crunched the numbers on it um I got to, and there's a line in the piece, and this summarizes it. The fact is that eight, is that 18-year-old players of similar builds and with similar production to what LeCaramacchi has managed this season in the Allsvenken don't tend to be impact NHL players as scoring wingers. And I couldn't move off of that in terms of, of a prospect ranking without dinging him pretty significantly. Um, in terms of comps that LeCaramacchi has in the Allsvenken as an 18-year-old, um, and this is a guy only a year removed from having like William Nylander as, as one of his primary comps, like the only guy who made it, who scored like this as an 18 year old of a similar size in the Alsvenkin is Mikhail Backlund. And he hasn't made it as a scoring player. He's made it because he's an ace defensively who can score. Yeah. Um, how and do he's you, a center. how do you, how do you sort of now? there's obviously injury context 
He's had a knee injury. He's had a concussion. He dealt with mono last offseason. It really truncated his training. Um, you know, there's hope that he can get back on schedule. But also, from a from a comparable perspective, like, I think keeping him at number two reflects the pedigree and the context around his struggles this season adequately. It's really hard for me to, like, rank him any higher than this based off of just how bad this season has been. Like, this season is really one that's been so dramatically ineffective. He's been so dramatically ineffective that I think there's grounds to doubt whether or not there's NHL upside there at all anymore. And that's, you know, a really tough pill to swallow given that he was a first-round pick just, what, nine months ago? Well, and it's obvious... The thing with the injuries is it's not just that it lowers what he's doing, what he's producing this year. It also hurts his development time. Like these are key, these are key development years, obviously for players in your draft plus one season. Like everyone else who's drafted around him, if if they're healthy, they're playing, they're getting better. That's a really tough situation to come back from. Obviously, what he does next season is going to have a huge impact. It's just really hard, and obviously, you and Harmon struggled with this, I'm sure, because yeah. as you said, well, you're I, number I, one. I, I'm not out on Lakaramaki. No, but because as, as you said, we it's kept not as too. if it's not as if his his statistical profile prior to this year was bad. It was no. good, as you said. There were some really impressive names on that list that you could plausibly compare him to, right? So balancing the decline and trying to weigh, okay, well. We know he had this track record not that long ago. How do you weigh it against what he's done this year? How do you weigh the injury factor, all of that? It's really, really difficult. It does, like, next year feels very high stakes to try to reset that trajectory back to at least what it was in his draft year. And the fact that Ratu in his age 19 season is like, played in the NHL and actually played pretty well and has been productive in the American League, you know, he's got meaningful comps, right? Like, Ratu Ratu's got meaningful comps in terms of um, players who've profiled similarly and have gone on to NHL stardom, like being high-level NHL players. Lakaramaki history indicates that players that produce like this at 18 just don't that they don't make an impact at the, in, in the show, and so that that also played a role. Uh, I'd I note one other thing: we've got Arthur Silov's fifth, mm-hmm. but that sort of price prices in how goaltenders like are goal, paying the goalie tax well, basically basically and, yeah. and effectively the the relative replaceability of a, of a goalie prospect versus like you can you can find goalies who can play nhl games for you for a million dollars in european leagues whereas like you can't find a third line center who's really good on an entry-level deal so that sort of changes how we weight value for me in terms of like expected nhl impact guys i'd bet on being nhl players uh silovs would probably probably be number one it's just that I, I we don't rate goalies that way. We we ding them pretty significantly from a value perspective, given you know the greater upside of a Klimovich or a uh, Elias Pettersson or a Ratu yeah. hitting. Well, of those top five guys, like Silovs could very plausibly fill in an NHL role and do well at it next year. Next year, it's yeah. just a question of whether or not they would want him in that position as the backup. But like, yeah, he, there's every chance in the world that he could handle it and be a good backup. I, I just don't in think the NHL. You, you just wouldn't want it for him. No, that's it's, the thing, it, right? It's uh, like I think he's he's probably the best bet of Vancouver's current goalies outside of Demko to to back up and and be good. Next season, based on where Martin's game is, based on uh, Topolio's <laughs> their new signing out of Belarus. Um, I mean, you know, I, I still think they should probably go get another million dollar guy. Like, go take a 
gamble on a Laurent Brossois or something like that uh, this offseason. But, you know, uh, you just you need you need him to play games because he only got like 39 in over yeah. a two year span as a 19 and 20 year old as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, no, you got to keep your eyes on the long term with uh, Archer's seal offs and what's best for his development. And speaking of that, I did think it was interesting. Uh, you guys had some quotes from Ryan Johnson, of course, Abbotsford Canucks general manager. And the sense the sense with Atu Ratu is that AHL time is going to be good for his development and something that they're keen to give him, which I think is absolutely the right decision. Well, right? he's not also just, so young still. That's the thing, right? Like, this is not a the clock is ticking situation for Atu Ratu. And it would be easy to try to shoehorn, you know, the prospect you got back uh, for Bo Horvat into your lineup for next year. Like, hey, we traded a center, but hey, we're getting this guy in at center into our NHL lineup. That would be really easy to do. Don't do that, though, right? Give Atu Ratu. We've heard so much about, hey, let these guys overripen, give them tons of time to season in the AHL, and then bring them up when they're ready to contribute. Like, Ratu should be the absolute test case for that. Do that. Follow that uh, method. If he earns it, and shows he can play at the NHL level sooner than that, that's fine. But I have no problem with the plan being Atu Ratu first line yeah. AHL center for and next season. Let's like, not, no problem whatsoever. Let's not forget, if he was drafted to the CHL, he wouldn't even be AHL eligible until next season. Yeah. So it really would be like a first AHL season. Just because he spent this entire year in pro hockey doesn't mean that it's a, a problem for him to start his career, uh, you know, or – start his career continue continue his, continue next no, season in the american league which at which point he'll be the age that most players begin it just like daniela klimovich like next year especially is the year where mm. if klimovich isn't a fixture for that abbotsford canucks attack you start to be like oh boy is this a bruno um <laughs> two years away from being two years away type guy right but but you know in both cases those players will just become American League age next year. That's going to tell us a lot. Yeah, it absolutely is. Again, the prospect rankings from uh, Dranson Dial up at The Athletic right now. As mentioned, uh, owner of the Vancouver Giants, who are hosting playoff games this week, Ron Toygo, will join us next. Uh, it's a Canucks game day. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance. Final segment of the show here on a Canucks game day. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Masters coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses. Born on the beaches of Hawaii, Maui Gym sunglasses are designed with polarized plus two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself. Uh, Vancouver Giants owner Ron Toygo is going to join us momentarily on the line here. The, uh, the Giants hosting a pair of playoff games against the Kamloops Blazers this week. And, in fact, now on the line uh, is the Giants owner, Ron Toygo. Ron, thanks very much for making time for us today. How are you? Hey, my pleasure. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing very well. And just uh, how exciting is it for you and for the organization? I, I know it's uh, you know a tough, uh, a tough road to climb it, looking for a comeback here against the Kamloops Blazers, but still hosting playoff games uh, at the LEC always has to be an exciting prospect. 
Yeah, it's always really important for for our guys to experience that, and uh, we're still a, you know one of the younger teams in the league, and uh, we're excited with the group we have. We've got uh, five guys rated in the NHL draft, which I think is the highest in the CHL. So we've got lots to look forward to, and uh, but there's no questions. Uh, Kamloops is is loaded and and uh, prepared to to take a real run at the Memorial Cup. They're a host, and uh, but they, you know their goal is to go in the front door. They're, I think they've got uh, eight NHL players on the, their drafted players on their roster. With I think five or six of them are already signed, and uh, so it's definitely going to be a challenge. But uh, you know, having said that, uh, I think our guys are up to it. I think uh, they're going to compete, and you know, um, I think Samuel Hansik, um to me is is, is probably. You know the second best forward available in the draft this year, and uh, he's, he's he's rated in the, the high teens right now. But as time goes on, uh, if he didn't miss all the, the the games due to that freak injury in the World Juniors where he got stepped on and and uh, and cut his his thigh and it took some time to heal. Prior to that, he was on a point and a half clip with us, and uh, you know he's six foot four. He's Gates, you know, he reminds me a lot of Mario Lemieux and with that reach and how he can do things and and uh, you know and then we've got a, you know all the other kids that are that are you know vying for draft position and uh, they got a lot to prove and um, uh, Vickman had a, a a bit of an off game in the first game against them and I expect him back in the lineup tonight and you know he's uh, uh, high prospect with the Dal- with uh, Vegas and uh, you know with the right goaltending anything can happen. You know, as you said, one of the youngest teams in the WHL still, and I know you made uh, your team made the decision to trade Zach a Stapchuk earlier in the season, you know, obviously getting a haul back. But just what can you say about the job that Michael Dick has done, you know, despite having one of the youngest teams, despite trading a key player, uh, and still shepherding this team to the playoffs? Well, I think Michael Dick's one of the best coaches in hockey at all levels. And, uh, you know, last year we traded away our captain again, and, um, and then Mike was also at the World Juniors, so he missed a lot of time there. And then to come back and uh, regroup that that group to, to uh, pull off the biggest upset in Western Hockey League history with the one against eight when we knocked off Everett and then pushed the Kamloops to, uh, in the second round to uh, seven games or six games. And, um, you know, and this year we, you know, we kind of did the same thing where, um, you know, we traded away as captain and uh, was really the heart of the team. And we had no intention of doing that, but you know the offers just got too, too crazy to to not do it for for what it did for the future of the franchise. But it, 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 uh, and we were a younger group this year than last year, so I think that this group was a little, um, not shocked, but but just uh, wasn't prepared to take on uh, uh, all the all the things that Chucky did. Cause he, he was he was a, he was an alpha male if ever there was one. He was a force out there. He scored goals. He fought. He did everything and. Uh, and carried a lot of the, the load, and uh, and we've missed him, and and he's irreplaceable. So, uh, but uh, I think Mike's uh, really good with developing kids and bringing them along, and uh, and he's really excited about next year and and where these guys will be, and uh, and uh, and so are we. So we all are looking forward to next year, and uh, we expect this to be the last year we'll be an underdog going into the playoffs for some time. Ron, we love to hear it. How how excited are you about? what you're building and, and what role does this experience against a juggernaut Kamloops team play in terms of moving you toward what you want to accomplish next season? 
Well, it shows them where they've got to get to. And, um, you know, we, the pandemic really, really screwed us in that, mm. um, we, we were in the go for it mode when that hit, we were on a 10 game winning streak and, uh, getting, you know, we'd, we'd gone to game seven of the, of the league final the year before and lost in, in overtime, double overtime. And, uh, and Bowen Byram was, was, was at the absolute peak of his, his, uh, Western hockey league career for, I mean, he could do anything he wanted out there and, and, uh, and we built around him, made some strategic trades, and traded away some of our future to add to that. And then, uh, and then it got taken away from us. And then, uh, and, and some of the things trades we did then that cost us in the last couple of years by not having those assets to grow with. Now we, so now we're in that process again, and we think we're just at the start of a new cycle next year, where we will start to get back into winning. And over the next, you know, two or three years, we expect the challenge for the Memorial Cup. Ron, you brought up Hanzik, but across the WHL this year, uh, just an em- embarrassment of talent. Uh, we're going to see a lot of WHL players selected in the first half of the first round and, and all through the throughout the draft class, obviously headlined by Connor Bedard. Um, how exciting is the talent coming out of the Western League this season? How much fun has it been to watch throughout the year? You know what? It's been a it's been a lot of fun, and, and it's been uh, and really um, we've really regained our, our position as being the, the number one development league in in, uh, in the world again. Where you know uh, the CHL dominates the first three rounds of the last number of drafts. Uh, the NHL, uh, I think, uh, twenty two of the captains uh, over the thirty teams are from the CHL, and and uh, and you look at the teams winning Stanley Cups. Their 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 core base is guys that have come from major junior playing in the CHL, because we really we play the NHL style of game more than any other league, and and the guys are are, are already adapt to playing that. That they're bringing them up much younger than they bring them from the colleges. So sometimes they get measured on the same basis, but you know it's not fair to measure some of these guys that go up at 19 to to guys that are coming in at 23, but they do and. But they're the they're the exception to the rule. These guys are extremely talented, and, and guys that really want to play uh, come to our league. And as a result, the draft is showing that out. And this year is going to be one of our strongest in years. Ron, really appreciate the time. Best of luck in the uh, in the playoff game tonight. Thanks a lot, and uh, take care, and uh, have a good day, guys. That is Vancouver Thanks, Giants man. owner Ron Toygo talking to us ahead of their uh, playoff game against the Kamloops Blazers tonight at the LEC. Tickets still available at uh, VancouverGiants.com. And, yeah, obviously Ron acknowledging they are the heavy underdogs in this series. No surprise there. No shame there. No, this uh, but, Kamloops Blazers team is yeah. loaded. Loaded. But, you know, uh, game one was a tough one for the Giants, obviously. We, we all saw what that mm-hmm. scoreline looked like. But, I mean, it is a good test for for the Giants. This is definitely like Kamloops this year, Seattle yes. and Winnipeg in the dub are are three of the best teams anywhere in the CHL. Like anywhere in the CHL, only two can make the Memorial Cup because Kamloops is hosting. Um so two will make the Memorial Cup because someone has to represent the dub. But I mean these teams are absolutely loaded. Stacked. It is going to be a fascinating playoff and then of course you've got a, a certain north vancouver sniper yeah. who's shocking the world trying the to moment. put an end to that yeah trying to yeah this is unbelievable mm-hmm. this is unbelievable there's no reason 
that Regina should have a 2 nothing lead in their series, except for one man. Just unbelievable stuff from Connor Bedard, who continues to drop jaws across, you know, the WHL and the hockey world. Yeah, and you heard uh, Ron talking about just how special it, a year it has been. And, I mean, look, still two games to go see the Giants, but also to see the Blazers and the talent that they're rolling out. This yeah. is going to be a, a special playoffs for the WHL. And it's just – it's. It's really cool and a real, a real treat, I think, for hockey fans in this part of the world to have the league firing on all oh, cylinders. Like well, this. and I do think I do think Hanzik's going in the lottery. Hanzik is shooting up draft boards, yeah. like shooting up draft boards now. Well deserved. You know, Ron. Hey, it's his guy, so second best forward <laughs> available. Maybe a little rich for my blood, but that's what you're gonna do when you got a guy in house. You're gonna pump his tires. I get that, but like, you just look at it like six you, foot you, three. You know, we don't do Zach Benson eraser eraser <laughs> on this program. I'm surprised you didn't cut off the interview. <laughs> whoa, right whoa, whoa, whoa! Excuse Ron. me, Ron. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but. Like it just makes sense. Six foot three, and with the production that he has yeah. in the WHL, like that equals going in the top half of the first round. No question. Pretty much, it's an iron law. So you got a chance to see uh, a high, another high uh, first round pick potentially as well in Sam Hodzik at the at the LEC tonight. Well, and and two guys who I think are I don't think two guys who are going to be playing NHL games next season and probably at a very high level. Um, Olin Zellweger for for the Ducks uh, is Kamloops Blazers defenseman. Uh, absolute monster, and then of course Logan Stankoven, mm-hmm. who will for sure be on a, on one of the top nine in the top nine for the Dallas Stars next season. As the rich get richer, getting one of the best CHL players onto their roster next year. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. He's again. so good. Yeah, he's awesome. Stankoven's unbelievable. He's man. awesome, and uh, yeah, you have a chance to watch him at the Langley Events Center. Uh, also, uh, the Giants hosting Game Four. Uh, which I believe is on coming up on Thursday as well. So tickets for both of those available at VancouverGiants.com right now. Uh, by the way, Rager texted in uh, as he was as Toygo was talking about the uh, possibility of a comeback for the Giants against the powerhouse Blazers. Rager texted in. Ron's right. Anything can happen. So there you go. Just a little a nice one in there. Uh, for you, Trancer, if the anything can happen reference. Uh, I did want to read this text, 650-650. You can get your text in, final 10 minutes or so of the show here. Uh, we were talking about the difficult, difficult season uh, that LeCaramacchi has had for the Canucks since being drafted, and this text comes in, LeCaramacchi illustrates why the Hronik deal was good and on point. The thing is, though, with that logic, and I understand, like, yes, there is an inherent uncertainty and risk when you're picking 17-year-olds in the NHL draft. There are a million things that can happen to derail what the what the player is going to do at the NHL level, whether or not they're even going to make the NHL. Yes, that is absolutely true, but you can't have it both ways because Philip Ronick was a second-round pick, and the Canucks also gave up a second-round pick in that deal with the Detroit Red Wings, right? So you can't look at it and say, well, you know, the, a first-round pick was probably just going to be Jonathan Lekaramaki because you can equally turn around and say, yeah, but they could have got a future Philip Ronick with the second-round pick. And again, like, the reason why there's it's just inescapable that the Canucks have one of the worst prospect systems in the NHL. It's pure volume. It's That's what it is. It has very – well, I don't want to say it has nothing to do with scouting or whatever. Well, right? it definitely like, you, does. You can go back and pick, like, hey, they should have picked this guy over that guy. Sure. But more than anything else, it's volume. And it's not like volume in the fifth and sixth rounds. It's volume in the first and second 
rounds. That's what it is. And, of course, not all of those guys are going to hit. Of course not. But when you do hit on the really high-value draft picks, man, does it do wonders for your franchise. As much as people say, like, well, you know, it could be Jake Vertanen, it could be Ole Levy. It also could be Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes. <laughs> that's, that's working out pretty well, well right? I, that's one of the things that bothers me so much about the, like, the, the the concept of what's guaranteed, right? It's like, whoa, you can't you can't rely on draft picks. You've got Hughes and Pedersen. It's like, where where do you, where did those guys come from? <laughs> come on, what are you talking about? And you know the idea that it takes forever too. You you think about Dallas adding Stankoven and what that's going to do in terms of adding nitrous, right, to their team building exercise here. Um, yeah, I mean. This team really can't afford to keep bleeding draft picks the way that they have. Uh, hopefully, Heronic's sort of like the end of it, you know? Because truly, like, you get into this unsustainable cycle where trade too many mid-round picks, develop only Quinn Hughes for a decade in terms of top four caliber defensemen, overpay in picks mm. to get another team's top four defenseman who they got in the second round and who's only a year out from being really expensive. Ah, you can't keep doing this. Yeah, you're never going to get ahead. It's you know the you're already starting to see the toll of like in 2020 not picking. I think it was the first two rounds they didn't pick in right, and like now those are both. And I understand one of those is JT Miller, right, who's contributing right now. But like those are both picks that you would be relying on to come in and be really cost efficient, affordable talent for you next season, or at least you'd be hoping uh, for them to be coming in in that in that role, right? The way to think about it too is it's like, realistically, if you go down and look at the 2020 draft, like only a few players are really making big impacts at this point, right? You're, you're talking about, you know, Dawson Mercer, Braden Schneider. Like, there's but, a few guys. There's but how guys. many are going to make that leap next season? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Next year, next year, the cost of the JT Miller trade, which feels like it happened forever ago, is going to be manifest. Like, the teams that made those picks and got contributors – those guys are going to be impact guys beginning next season. Like the cost in terms of futures of that deal only starts to be felt next year. The year after, OEL. The year after, right? Like we're, we're not going to feel the heroic trade till 2027, 2028, right? Like that's, that's how it works. Those, that's the impact that was mortgaged for the benefit of the last few years, which I don't know. I haven't really enjoyed them. No, it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't been worth the cost. <laughs> it has not been worth the cost. And again, that's how you end up in a position where you miss the you playoffs know, you, seven or eight years. Yeah, and your prospect pool uh, is also simultaneously one of the worst in the NHL, which is a really, really difficult position to be in. And again, there's no, there's no magic fix, right? There's no magic bullet. The the fix is to start accruing draft picks. Uh, and start making a lot of those high-value picks that have a chance to turn in to impact players that have a chance to be, you know, your Philip Ronick down the road, and not just your Philip Ronick, but your Philip Ronick that you can lock up to potentially a really team-friendly contract because you have them in the system and you've been developing them, right? Like, that's the other key is that your draft picks, it's not just that they have – it's not just that they're your goal, that's where you're going to get your kind of elite star players. It's also – that's where you have a chance to really accrue that surplus value, not just on the ELC, but also on that second contract if you plan it out right. 
right? If you play your cards right, you can also get that player on an extremely affordable second contract, which it's really difficult to do in any other avenue. It's almost impossible to do in UFA, and it's very hard to do even in trade because when you trade big assets for a player, you're also saying we're going to give you a big deal. Like you're all, They're also probably about to get expensive. Well, and, the, and the cost of that, too, is only about to come due, right? Like if, if all goes well, right, if your, your best-case scenario here is that you get Pedersen locked up long-term this summer, right? But that's you paying a premium for not having the space to go long two years ago, where, where Pedersen wanted to go long. His camp wanted a longer deal. It, it's, you know, again, it's just the compounding thirst to win now continues to set this organization back, especially because they haven't won now or later, right? Like, if you're, if you're making win-now moves and you don't win now, you're really in a bind. And, and that's where this team has found itself. Partly, you know, partly that's inherited by Alvin and Rutherford, but they haven't put down their shovels. They continue to dig. No, it's been largely the same plan. And look. Largely? <laughs> I mean, they traded Bo Horvat. Well, that's, that's, that's about it. Right? I know, but people people say stuff to me, you know, like, oh, well, most of this is inherited. And it's like, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Horonic, Miller, Besser. Beauvillier. Beauvillier. That's $30 million. That's $30 million in cap commitments for next year, and lots of them are long-term. Um, you know, the... It might, the problems might have been inherited, but the reckless spending, like to, to be in a point where we can't even really talk, in my view anyway, Gavrikov and Barbashev, like we're way ahead of ourselves talking about names that the Canucks might pursue in free agency because this team first needs to clear the decks. They need to, they need to execute moves to set up moves to service a team that's probably going to come into the Pacific Division next year as like the fifth best true talent team. And it's a weak division. I, I just, I can't, I can't square it, man. It's hard to even, yeah, it is hard to kind of really even map out what their offseason is going to look like without knowing what the clearing the decks process yeah. looks like. I agree with you. Like, I love looking at the free agent market. Okay, who are the budget guys they could go after? And how would Gavrikov fit, right? Even if I don't love the idea of that deal. But I don't even know what the parameters they're going to be dealing with right now, right? Like, it seems like there's so much potential variance in like how much cap space they could have, how many roster spots they could have, what positions they need to fill, because there is so much work to be done on the, as you said, the clearing the decks, the kind of tearing down process, or at least I shouldn't say tearing down because that has a different connotation, but you know what I mean, just getting rid of some of the uh, the contracts they don't so want around. I'd call it a reallocation Sure, process. yeah, reallocation. And what that looks like well, is and, going to have such a big impact on what they can actually tangibly do and that in itself, the summer. And that itself, like the biggest reallocation offseason we've seen from this team was 2021, right, where you take the $12 million from Erickson, Beagle, Roussel, and turn it into OEL and Garland while also buying out Braden Holpe and buying out Vertanen. I mean, you know, reallocation is more dangerous in some ways than just free agent shopping. And free agent shopping is one of the most dangerous things you can do in in hockey, right? Like, it's very hard to win a deal on July 1st. Very hard. Uh, We got to get out of here. The Hockey PDO cast is coming up next. Kevin Woodley in studio for a full hour with Dmitry Filipovich, lots of hockey talk or lots of goalie talk coming up. Enjoy that. Enjoy the uh, Canucks and the Kraken tonight. Uh, thanks for listening. It is Sportsnet 650.